thank you, Neil. I don't know if I should preach after that. <laughs> That's felt like a fool message. I know when Jeremy comes up, the spirit takes over. So, <laughs> no, but amazing. I just to be in life group. So, so we are in the toward the end of our series, um, the song of ascents. Um, so it's those group of songs where the people of Israel made their way to Jerusalem um, during annual festivals to go, and, to go and worship the Lord. And so, so we've been preaching through those. And, and this whole idea about the song, the being on pilgrimage, um, walking towards Jerusalem, the place where people are going to worship, just that whole um, tradition and act of the bodily act of actually walking and being in community. You can imagine it was quite a throng of people, right? They were walking in families, in clans, and they were talking, and there must have been such joy and anticipation. But then also there must have been maybe someone who's really yearning for something. Remember when Hannah uh, went up to the temple to go and offer sacrifices? How did she feel? You know, thinking, Lord, I'm trusting you for a son. Um, I'm sure for her it wasn't, it wasn't just um, laughing and singing and dancing. There was like a, a bit of inner yearning, but she was engaging with people around her. And so this whole idea of pilgrimage, um, this morning we are in Psalm 133, but there was something about this idea of being on pilgrimage with God that made me thought of our walk as believers, that, you know, in, in essence, our, our walk with God, our relationship with God should be like a pilgrimage. It's ongoing, it's on the move, we never... It, it, it's never static. We always we are constantly learning more and more about what it means to serve God. And I think I think that that when we if we do get to a place where we feel like you know we we now know everything about what it means to serve God and we've got this thing taped in a sense, then I almost feel like something is wrong. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? It's it's as if the like God is so big, I mean it's such an inadequate word, like God is like immense and he's so much bigger than our hearts and our minds that we're constantly finding out what it means to be, to be serving him, to be coming more like Christ. And so, and so we never get to the point where we feel like, okay, I've got this all sorted now. Do you know what I'm saying? It's always like we're always on the road, always on pilgrimage. And I think as we as we have that attitude, I feel like God draws us in and he, and he calls us deeper and we start to really start to see, wow, wow, this is what it means to serve God. This is what it means to be someone who says, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross of Calvary and, and what a mighty God we do serve. And so... And so this morning, I feel like just up front, just thinking about this whole idea of the Psalms of Ascent, um, that there's an invitation to us today. There's an invitation. And you maybe come to a point where you've sat down, where you maybe feel like, you know, I don't know if this is worth it. Or maybe you feel like, oh, 
I just know, I just know everything about God, and I just need to tell people. But, but I feel like there's an invitation this morning to us to say, let's join the pilgrimage again. Let's join this, this, this. Let's be on the road of discovering who God is. And so, just that as you know, there's there are pilgrimages. I don't know who of you have done a pilgrimage. There are pilgrimages, uh, the, the famous one, the Camino de Santiago, have you heard of that one? Yeah. Uh, 500 miles. I don't know if anyone has done any of that. No? So, so we have, Ant and Sue Ryan have done a bit of that. So they actually went to go and do a bit of the Camino. Uh, we also have a South African Amino, uh, Camino, not Amino. We have a South African Camino called the Pilgrimage of Hope. And it goes from Stellenbosch, all the way it meanders through Hermanus and then to Cape Gullis, 272 kilometers. Do you have the strength for that? And so, <laughs> but, but you can imagine that there's, um, on this pilgrimage, imagine walking from Stellenbosch through the mountains, along the roads, and, and you there with your little backpack, and there's, there's Times, I'm sure, when you are alone, right? So there's time for reflection. There's time for introspection, reflection. There's time to really contemplate, like, what does this mean? What does it mean to serve God? What does it mean for me to live my life, always learning more about what, who God is and what God desires for me? But then there's also times where you meet people on the pilgrimage, right? Other people are also on the pilgrimage. And so what happens is these pilgrimages are designed so that you, they are, at the end of the day, you, you reach like a, a place where you stay and you have a meal. And sometimes, depending on how much you've paid or whatever, it's going to be quite expensive, but, but like the meal is prepared for you. And so you enter into communion with people that you don't know. And so, and so you meet them, you start to build relationship, and you can imagine over 272 kilometers, you start to share quite a bit, and so you start to build a bit of relationship through that. And, and so on a pilgrimage, there's not just solitude, which is important, there's also communion, which is also important. And so, and so you know, you hold that tension between you are, you are alone, you are not lonely, you are alone, but you are also in communion with people. And I think that's such a beautiful kind of picture of what the, the Christian walk is like. There are times when we are alone with God and we pour out our hearts and we reflect on His Word. But there are times when God calls us into communion. And, and like today is one of those times right, when we join with others and we find out what it means. And so I feel like there's, in our relationship, there is this invitation to us. But as we turn our Bibles to Psalm 153, that's the psalm we are on this morning. And just before we read that, I'd like, I'd like us just to pray and ask God to bless our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and Father looks, you look after us, Father God. We thank you that you are God who calls us and invites us to join you. Father, you never command us to join your family. You never command us to be in fellowship, but Father, you invite us. And so Lord, we thank you for that loving invitation. Lord, I pray that as we 
look into your word this morning. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, Lord God, may be acceptable to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I have one version of Psalm 133 in my Bible, but I like the I like the variation. So I'm gonna ask if your version is different to mine, if you wouldn't mind just reading out your version, right? So mine, I don't even know what version of the Bible this is. This is the poverty, the poverty Bible. It's the contemporary English version. So my version says. It is truly wonderful when relatives live together in peace. It is as beautiful as olive oil poured on Aaron's head <coughs> and running down his beard and the collar of his robe. It is like the dew from Mount Hermon falling on Zion's mountains, where the Lord has promised to bless his people with life forevermore. Do you have a different version to that? Yes. Please go for it. <laughs> How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil pulled upon the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon, Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? I know that there's at least one other version. Thank you, Louis. That's the NIV. NIV, please. Uh, the New Living Translation. <coughs> how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that is poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Great. I think those are the three versions. Do you have yet another version? Does anyone have? Okay, for sure. so much. So, so with that, there were variations. Did you hear that? There were how good and pleasant it is when brothers, when brethren, when God's people, when relatives dwell together in peace, in unity, in harmony, all of those things. And so, and then, and then it makes, um, and this harmony or this peace or this unity is like, and it makes two examples of what it's like. And then it says, for there God commands his blessing, even life forevermore. And so I'd like us just to look into the psalm and to, to see that what is, what is the, probably the, the primary example of unity that we have. When I say unity, what do you think? Let's see. If I say unity, what do you think? Together. Agreement. Peace. Okay, but, but maybe, do you think about sport? Do you think about, yeah, there we go, there we go, like a rugby team, right? Yeah, for sure. So sport has that kind of power to draw us together. 
strength, yes, in unity, yeah, unity is the strength in unity. You know, the, the thing, the, the primary, most fundamental example of unity that we have, because unity is the, unity is the, the, the concept that is, that is foundational here, right? And we get to look at, at this unity. So, so you mentioned it, unity is belonging, it's relationship, interdependence, Ubuntu, mutuality, those things around unity. Um, and so for me as, as believers, we have the most profound example of unity that, that the world can ever have. Can you think about it? It's the person of God himself. God is one, but he's not one, right? He's three in one. So, so the Trinity, the idea of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is an amazing example of unity for us as, as God's people. If we think about the Trinity, so, so is there anyone doing my slides? Because I'd like to show something. <laughs> but anyway, just, just go through the slides. Um, so it's not your eyes, it's just that doesn't have enough resolution. But um, that's the song. You can go to the next one. That's our song. And the, the third one I want to say is, have you ever seen this painting? No. So this is, it's called an icon of the Trinity. If you go and look at it, if you go and search it, it's, it's called the icon of the Trinity. And it was painted in the 15th century by um, Andre Rublev. And it's a very famous painting. It's probably one of his most famous paintings. He's a Russian painter. And here he depicts Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and they are sitting around this table in perfect community. The, the power of the picture of the Trinity for the Church of God is that when we look at the, at the picture of the Trinity, we see that there's community, there's perfect community, there's perfect harmony, there's perfect relationship. And, and I love the, the picture that, that, that someone's uh, uh, teaching on the Trinity once said that in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's perfect love. And out of that abundance of love flow God's creation. Out of the abundance of love of the Trinity, we were created. We were created out of the abundance that flowed from the Godhead. And, and that's always something that strikes me. So, so when I think about the Trinity, not three, but one, um, and not one, but three, there's a community of persons. There's a community of persons, and it's, it teaches us something. But there's also a community of diverse persons, isn't it so? So it's not just the same person three times. <laughs> it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so in the Trinity, we find diversity. And, and one of the values of Wellspring is that we are a community of diverse believers. I think there's something very powerful in that, in that concept of, of, of the Trinity because unity as diversity. We spoke about harmony, not, not uniformity, but diversity. So, so I once said to our guys at work, I said, guys, for our end of year, we're going to go to Kirstenbosch. <laughs> so then someone, someone jumped up and said, but, but there's nothing at Kirstenbosch. <laughs> and I almost fell off my chair. 
Because when I go to Kirstenbosch, I'm blown away what, like by the diversity, right? The absolute life and diversity of all the different species. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> that was it. But, but you know, when I, when I think of, of diversity and the profuse, just creativity, I think about, about how in church, that's what we have. We have a diversity of people. We all come from different backgrounds. If I give the mic to each and every single one, we'll hear a different story, right? We'll hear a different story about the family that you grew up in and the community that you come from. But what happens here at Wellspring this morning is that all our paths are intersecting and God has brought us together from all these diverse areas. And I look around and I see people who are not just one gender, right? I see people who are like Jeremy's uh, life group, a little bit more mature, and I see, and I see young, younger people, right? And so, so in the body of Christ, there's this life and there's this diversity, and there's, there's the diversity of humanity. And, and in the perfect love of the Trinity, everyone is accepted. Everyone is accepted. No one is excluded. Isn't that a beautiful thought? It doesn't matter who you are, you are not excluded when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the family of God. And so there's also Trinity or unity expressed as community. So in the Trinity there's belonging. So someone said the way this painting is, is painted, there's almost a place at the table. There's always a place at the table. No one is excluded. And so I'd like to think that as a church, we always have a space for somebody. And it doesn't matter who you are. There's always a space for you. There's always a space in the family of God to say that you are welcome. And so, and so when we think about this blessing that God speaks about, belonging and relationship, we need to consider what, what does the word say it is like? So, in John chapter 17, if you could turn there with me, John chapter 17, verse 1 to 5, and then from verse 20 to 23, we see that this concept of unity, God's desire for His people to be in unity, and God's desire for, when we think about who is God's people, so when we think about that, we think about, we think about Wellspring, we think about those who, have come to faith in Christ? What if it was broader than that? What if God's desire for unity was not just humanity? Just because you are a human being, you are loved by God. And so, and so, John chapter 17, verse 1 to 5, Jesus comes and he prays and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might have, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. Jumping to verse 20. Now Jesus prays for us. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this unity that Jesus Christ prays for isn't just a unity where we pitch up at church and smile at each other and just say nice things and have a cup of coffee and go home. No, there's, there's an intimacy there, right? It's like, Father, as I am in you, may they be in me. There's that, that intimacy of relationship. And I think one of the challenges we have in our society is that we've lived so long in a way that have kept certain people apart, right? Along racial lines, along socioeconomic lines, along what? Gender, um, equality lines, maybe even sexuality. There have been so many barriers erected that have kept people apart, that people felt they don't belong. And the challenge for us as God's people is to say, what is this unity that Jesus Christ speaks of? What is it that he says that my prayer is that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, the, the, the idea is that if we as a church get right, if we get unity right, it's such a powerful message to the world out there where, where you are either in or you are out. Depending on what shoes you wear, depending on what clothes, brand of clothes you wear, depending on what car you drive, you're either in or you're out, right? But here it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. Here you belong. Here you are welcome. Here we are just people making it through life, trying to be faithful to the God who has called us, the God who loves us. What about that? Like, can we have an imagination to say, what can this be like if we just say, everyone is welcome? Let's imagine. There are quite a few songs that says that. The songs are playing on my mind. But, but you know, the, this unity is described. It says, it is as beautiful as olive oil poured on Aaron's head and running down his beard and the collar of his robe. So now I'd like us to go to, to this, the first instance where God instructs his people about the anointing oil. Exodus chapter 30, verse 22 to 33. So I must apologize. I forgot to look at my time, but I know Chantal will give me a look. So she will give me a look when I've gone over time. But Exodus chapter 30, verse 22, I'd like to just read a little bit about this anointing oil that, oil that he refers to. He says, um, the word of God says in Exodus chapter 30, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the shekel, uh, the sanctuary shekel, 
and a, and a hymn of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant of the law, the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils and the basins with its stand. You shall consecrate them so that they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not pour it on anyone else's body and do not make any other oil using the same formula. It is sacred and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from their people. Do you see how special this oil is? What, what catches your attention when, when, when I read the ingredients of this oil? Does anything catch your attention as I, as I read this? I was taken aback because sometimes when I read about oil, it is like oil running down um, Aaron's head, down his beard, over the collar of his robes. I think, like normal olive oil. No, it's not just normal olive oil. It's a, it's a very special oil. It set him apart for holy purposes. It was a consecration to God. It's that these things are holy unto God. And then I think about all the fragrant spices. Do you think that, like if that oil were poured over someone's head in our presence, would we just see the oil being poured? No. There'd be something of an experience, right? You would smell the cinnamon. You would smell the myrrh. You would smell the... Calamus, there we go. You, it, would be, it would be an experience. Have you ever been to an Anglican church? Yes. And then they do that thing. Incense. What is that called? Incense. Yes. And there's a name for that thing as well. Like, I know it's very formal, right? But there's something about that that I just love. Because it says to be in the presence of God is a full-bodied sensory experience. And so, and so for us as believers, when, when he says um, the unity is like this oil, it's as if when God's people meet in unity and we welcome people and we bring them in, doesn't matter who you are, but you are loved by God, that fragrance spreads and people want to be in the fragrance. People, want, people are drawn closer. It's a testimony to the world where you are either in or you are out based on all those other things I mentioned. And so, and so this is where the unity of God abounds. And so, and so let us think about that. Another thought that, that we can't really unpack this morning is that what does it mean that in the New Testament it's not just Aaron and his sons and the high priest who are priests unto God, but we are all priests. We are all the priesthood of all believers. What does that mean? And then it says, it is like the dew on Mount Hermon. It is like the dew from Mount Hermon falling on Zion's mountains. Now, now this unity is like this, right? So the unity is like the anointing oil, but the unity is also like the dew from Mount Hermon. So Mount Hermon was the highest peak in Israel. 
It was at the northernmost tip of Israel, if you can imagine the, the map. It is at the northernmost point of Israel. It rises about 9,000 feet above sea level, and its caps are always, the mountain peaks are always covered in snow. And so what happens is the dew that flows from Mount Hermon was a heavy dew. At the base of this mountain, there were springs because of the constant flowing of the waters. And what does waters indicate? Waters indicate life and growth and, you know, and, and, and so there's this lush vegetation at the base of Mount Hermon. And so, and so Mount Zion is something else, right? Mount Zion is, 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 is a bit more south. It is where the temple was built. It was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was built uh, on Mount Zion. And so this is where the pilgrims were headed. But it was drier. It was a drier climate. And so, and so the psalmist is saying the unity is as if the dew from Mount Hermon, now this, this abundance, this lush kind of springs that are flowing down from the mountain, were flowed on Mount Zion. And what, what happens at Mount Zion? So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 to 24 says this, We have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, to such a voice speaking words that those who hear it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even, in, even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now that was Mount Sinai. That was where the Israelites received the Ten Commandments from the Lord. Remember that? But verse 22 says, You have not come to that mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you see what Mount Zion is? Mount Zion is this profuse, abundant, Praise unto God, where thousands of angels are singing praise to God. And so, and so when we say that it is as if the dew from Mount Hermon fell, it's to say that at Mount Zion, this is where life is to be found. May our community find the blessing of God, because in our communion, it is like the life-giving water of God that quenches the, the thirst of those who are thirsting for life, for meaning, for hope, for relationship and belonging. How many in our society, we are probably the most connected people of all time, technologically, right? I can pick up my phone, I can message someone in a few seconds, they can be on the other side of the world, they will receive whatever I send them. And yet how fragmented we are how fragmented we are as families, relationally. The, the, uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, uh, he's the Surgeon General of the United States, he says that loneliness is a pandemic. People are lonely. And he says being lonely, so it's not the same as being alone. We spoke about solitude and, and, and communion, but 
He says, loneliness is so bad for our very health. He says, it's as if you are smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how bad it is to be lonely. This is the Surgeon General of the United States. Um, and, so, and so what does it mean when we say that this unity is life-giving? It's literally life-giving. It literally is life to people who are lonely, who are suffering alone and don't have communion like this. And so, and so the Word of God says that the unity of the saints is like this. And I think that when we look at this picture of the Trinity and we are called as the church to embody, embody this in our communities and to, and to live in our, in our context in this way, I think there's something of a, a challenge to us. What, what borders do we need, need to be crossed? Are there racial borders? Are there socioeconomic borders across which we need to cross in order to build relationships? Have you invited someone into your home who is different from you? I mean, we have opportunity, right, at Wellspring. Just look around, people are different. <laughs> people are different. Do you know, do we just know each other from a Sunday or do we know each other a little bit more than that? Have we had a meal together? And so I'm just thinking about the psalm that says, where there's unity, that's where God bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I want to extend a challenge to us. Um, you know, one day I was at, I was at Common Ground and so, so being at you know how big the church is, and so now it comes to the coffee time, right? And now, and now you're going to stand at coffee, but you don't know if you're going to stand alone, or if someone's going to come and say hello to you, or whatever, and you feel a little bit awkward. But there was some time where I just had a, it's like I turned a corner over there. I just thought, no, man, I'm not going to stand and wait for someone to come say hi to me. I'm going to look for people who I can go and say hi to. And so there was this young man from Nigeria. He, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I got to meet him. His name was Deo. And I saw him standing alone. He was drinking his coffee alone. And I walked up to him and I said, Hey, how are you? It's good to see you. Is this your first time? He says, Yeah, it's his first time here. And I said, hey. so, so what I like to do is to connect people, right? So I'm looking around. Who can I connect him to? And, and who's the first person I see? I see Jeremy. <laughs> and so I say, Hey, Deo, I want you to meet Jeremy. This is Jeremy. Jeremy lives here. And then before that conversation ended, Jeremy was inviting Dale for lunch. <laughs> no jokes, you invited him for lunch. I'm sure Merle was very surprised. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, so what I'm saying is we have an opportunity to live this unity for it to be a reality for us. To, to extend a hand of friendship and to say, yeah, I'd like to get to know you. We are the people of God. God has called us in. And so this morning I've asked Renee to arrange communion for us. Because our experience of God needs to be embodied. We need to touch and feel and smile and, and know that this faith that God has called us to incorporates all of us, not just our minds and our intellect, right? And so this morning as we as we touch these elements, I'd like us to think about how can we create 
belonging and inclusion and community. Because that's where God commands His blessing. That's where we experience life forevermore. Let us not get it wrong. That's where we experience life together. So, just to read this portion of scripture that turns our hearts to communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you could turn there in your Bibles with me. First Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 23 to 26. So there's um, the theologian Clippis Kritzinger writes that communion is such an example. And I'm going to ask us, if you're going to take communion today, if you wouldn't mind getting out of your seat and moving to the communion table and bringing the elements and coming to sit and then form groups, form little groups that you will enjoy communion with. And, and just to be aware of what, what we are doing as a community. We are moving in the same direction. We are gathering at the table. We are partaking of the sacrifice, elements that remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we are coming to form small groups. Just be aware of what we are doing as we do it. And I'll read this. I've already told you what the Lord Jesus did on the night he was betrayed. And it came from the Lord himself. He took some bread in his hands, and then after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Eat this and remember me. After the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine in his hands and said, This is my blood, and with it God makes his new agreement with you. Drink this and remember me. Let's make our way to the table. It's at the back there. Grab the, the bread and the juice and come and sit down as we, as we sit in our groups. Um, I'd like to read something to us before we, before we pray. Maybe get someone to pray for the bread, pray for the wine. But I'd like to read something for us. As we imagine those who are on the margins of our society and community, those who are lonely, those who may feel on the outside, as we take these elements that represent acceptance by the blood through the life of Jesus Christ, this is called this little is called consecration of the elements. As we lift this bread, asking you to consecrate it, bless our land to flow with milk and honey, plentiful harvest for all. As we break it, break the hearts of the empire and the chains of the oppressed. As it is shared among us, may we embrace each other's burdens in solidarity and love. As we lift this cup, we remember that our people are crushed, but they are not destroyed. In this crushing, bring forth new wine, representative of your blood, cleansing and bringing life of acceptance and abundance. 
As we share, may we be reminded that we share the same blood. We are a family of hope connected by cords that cannot be broken. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Thank you for bringing us into a family. A family that we can, where we can find belonging and love and acceptance, Father God. Father, I thank you that through our most difficult times, we know that we have people that we can call on and we will have support. Father, we pray that as a church that our hearts and our, our doors will always be open to anyone who needs to find acceptance and love in the arms of a gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.